Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. I want to celebrate this morning just what a great, joyful presence there is in this room, isn't there? You feel it online with us? What a great time. It's so awesome to see so many of you back with us for worship, and we're grateful that we still have so many worshiping with us online via Christ Church Online, so what a great day. Let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us from his word. Oh God, you are worthy of your name. Jesus, you are worthy of your name. Oh Spirit, you're worthy of your name. We worship you, God, in this place, and we do cry out and say, Hosanna. We thank you, Lord, for this this gathering together, voices lifted with joy and passion. And as we sing Hosanna, we're acutely aware of what those words mean, save us. And as we come into this place this morning, Lord, we're reminded that we need your saving that we are dependent on you. And so God, as we spend this time, we look at your word, we pray that that we would know you more. We invite you to teach us and instruct us and transform us as we look into the scriptures. We thank you for Jesus, Lord. As we stand on the precipice of this holy week, we desire to know him more and more. So God, we dedicate this time to you. I pray that you would speak through me, imperfect though I am. And I pray, Lord, you'd speak to us through your word, knowing that it is fully perfect. We worship you, God. You are worthy. We say Hosanna. We love you. And we give this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. I think many of you remember that I was a classroom teacher, elementary school teacher. And in my class... Uh, we won. There was no losing in Mr. G's second grade classroom. And I would set up all these competitions with the other class, second grade classes. And so we'd compete through math and through spelling. Whatever we could compete through, we'd compete through it. And I would get my class all fired up. And literally, we never lost. Like, we always won. Probably because I cared way more than anyone else would care. And so the kids would come back in, and we'd celebrate. We'd play music. I would get up on the desk and dance, filled with the spirit, of course. I mean, we would just have a really, really good time together. The kids loved it. It made school fun for me and for them. It was a blast, these competitions. One day, we had a competition, and we just won, as usual, and we were celebrating after everything was over, and we were lining up for the end of the day, high-fiving. And, and Ethan, <laughs> this quirky kid from my class who I really loved and enjoyed, raised his hand. He said, Mr. G. I said, yeah. He said, can I say something to the class? I said, sure. And so Ethan proceeds to say something like this. He said, you know, you guys did a really good job today, and I know you're excited that you won that competition. He said, but I want to tell you something. You didn't win because of you. It's not just you that caused you to get this victory. 
And then he reached into his pants. And I'm like, where's he going to do? And he pulled out a picture of Jesus from his pants and said, the reason you won is because of him. Now, mind you, Ethan had brought previously, like a couple weeks previously, he had brought in this picture of Jesus, like the classic portrait of Jesus that you could picture from Sunday school, a five by seven in this, and he had propped up on his desk. I told you he was kind of quirky. And he would like sit there and talk to the picture before a spelling test. He would sit there and talk to the, you know, and he was like, Jesus, help me, right? I need, I need some good luck here for this test. And so, so Ethan had a certain picture, literally and figuratively, of Jesus. He had this picture of Jesus being the one who was going to lead him to victory. He's the one who's going to lead us to victory. And somehow he was storing this picture, when it wasn't on his desk, in his pants. Don't ask me why. <laughs> really happened. You know, I think, I think we all have our own pictures of Jesus, so to speak. I mean, you might have a literal image of him in your mind. But I think we also tend to create pictures of Jesus. I mean, some people have the genie Jesus in their minds when they think of Jesus. The one that, that when we're in need, we're in panic, we, we want something, we turn to Jesus. Hey, I, I need this. And it's how, like, almost as if he works for us and he serves us. The genie Jesus. There's some that, that have that image of Jesus. There's some that have a, an image of Jesus that he's distant from us somehow. That he is disconnected from, from our experience that somehow he's, he's not near us, he's far from us. You know, I, I, there are people who have the picture of the socialist Jesus in mind today. Really. I mean, I, I looked this up. There, there's articles you could find that say Jesus was a socialist. I think it actually said Jesus is a socialist. That was the name of the, of the article. On the flip side, there are people who would say Jesus is a capitalist, and they can make the argument for that. There are others who want Jesus to be a freedom fighter. There are many images of Jesus that people construct. People construct their own picture of who Jesus is and try to sell that to the world. What's your picture of Jesus? I'll tell you this, when we look at the scriptures, the scriptures tell us this, that Jesus is the human face of God. Jesus is the human face of God. What we know about God we learn from Jesus. I mean, if you were to look at John 14, 9, Jesus says this. He says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is the one who gives us the human face, gives us a picture of who God is. What do you think about God? What is your image of him? Is he a genie? Some political construct? Distant? Where do you fall this morning? Your own picture of him. We're going to look at Luke 19. Jeremiah just read it for us. And this is what's known as the triumphant entry. It's typically read on Palm Sunday. This is when we commemorate this celebratory moment. We sang Hosanna, which was great this morning. And, and, and through this passage, the conventional images of Jesus are challenged. In fact, your image of Jesus may be challenged 
through this passage today. We're going to look and see three images of Jesus, I believe, in this passage. I want to share this with you. So let's get into it right now. We're in Luke 19. You know, I love that we read the scripture once. We're going to read it again. It's a good thing because the more we read the scripture, the more we have insight into it. And so I want you to follow along. You can look at the screens. You can have your Bible out, of course, the Bible app, all those work. Let's go to the scriptures right now, starting in Luke 19, verse 28. Hear the word of God. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were, wet, were sent ahead went and found it just as they had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. The Lord, God needs this, is what their response was. I want to pause here, because I think there's a very important truth in this little vignette. You know, I was thinking about this opening vignette of this passage, and I was curious, like, why is this included? If Jesus had just gone ahead to the village and made these arrangements and said, hey, there are going to be some guys coming in, they're going to ask to borrow this colt, can they borrow it? Yeah, sure, that's, if, if that's how it would have happened then why include this in such great detail in the passage? I believe this is an illustration of something supernatural. So I want to add, I want to point this out to add to your understanding of who God is. You see, what we see reflected here is foreknowledge. Foreknowledge. God has foreknowledge of people's actions. Calvinists and Arminians both believe this. They wouldn't dispute it. God has foreknowledge of human actions. And we see that in this passage, and this is important, because here's what it tells us. If Jesus knows in advance what's going to happen when those men go and look for and untie that colt, then that tells us that he is deity. Jesus is deity. Jesus is God. He has foreknowledge. Listen, Jesus knew that G Judas was going to betray him. Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him three times. You can find that in the scripture. He knew. He predicted it. He said it was going to happen. Jesus knew that the Romans and the Jewish leaders were going to crucify him. <laughs> Jesus knew that God would raise him from the dead. Amen? Listen, Jesus has foreknowledge. Jesus is deity. He is God. And so if you're listening and wondering, like, okay, how do I know that Jesus is someone that's important to my life? How, how, can I, how can I know that Jesus isn't just another important figure, a teacher, a prophet, a good man? Listen, Jesus is deity. We have an example of it here. He is God. He has foreknowledge of the situation. And so when Jesus says, he who has seen me has seen the Father, you better believe it because Jesus is God. We see it in this passage right here. Let's keep on going through this, okay? So picking back up, Luke 19, 
In verse 35, the scripture says this, they brought it, that's the colt, to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The stones will cry out. You know, I was thinking about, as I was thinking about this passage this week and sharing, I was like, well, I need an illustration. I want to I bring these pictures that we see of Jesus, this being the first one. I want to bring them into focus and help us understand them. And then I was reminded of this. We don't need a movie clip. We don't need a picture on the screen. We, we don't need some, some cute video. Listen, the scriptures right here give us the picture of Jesus. You see this one? I mean, Jesus here is referencing two Old Testament passages. There are two Old Testament passages referenced here. The first being Zechariah 9.9. Maybe you write that down in your notes and go look it up this week. Zechariah 9.9 talks about a king coming in on a donkey. And Jesus, no doubt, was well, well aware of that prophecy. And he knew as he rode in on that first Palm Sunday that he was making a statement about who he is, the King, the Messiah. And so there's this picture that we have of Jesus riding in on a donkey. Not only that, the second Old Testament passage that's, that's quoted here is Psalm 118. I think that's it, 118. I wrote that in my notes here. It's Psalm 118, verse 26. I should have trusted my memory. And Psalm 118, 26 is quoted verbatim here. The people cried out and said, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And what we understand was happening here isn't necessarily exactly like the kids in this room who were waving the palm branches and singing to Jesus and worshiping him, there were many in the crowd who were confused. And what they were looking for is a new David, a new political leader. When, when they thought of the king, they thought of something, someone coming to free them from the oppressive leadership, the oppressive governance of the Romans. The Jews were under Roman rule, and they hated it. And so what they were really desiring was someone to lead them out politically. That's what's happening here as we, we paint this scene. Well, Jesus is making a statement as he rides in on a donkey. And the statement is this. The Messiah will be a different kind of king. The Messiah who is coming, Jesus, him personifying that, that king, He's going to be a Messiah that they don't anticipate. This king is going to be different. He's not coming as a preening political leader. He's coming on a donkey. And he's coming to them meekly and humbly. That's the statement to be made here. Not a national hero, not a political Messiah. He rejects the political platform, in fact. And it speaks to us about the nature 
of God. I mean, think about it. Here's Jesus, the one who is all-knowing, who has foreknowledge of a situation, and he comes on a donkey. I mean, it's translated the colt here. That softens it. Actuality, this was a donkey, more commonly called in those times, an ass. And that's important because it expresses how lowly this animal is. I mean, the donkey, stubborn, I hate to say it, but stupid, a frustrating kind of animal. It's gray, it's kind of bleak. The, the donkey is an animal that just speaks of humility. It's not the kind of animal that you would think that a king would ride it on. It's not a war horse. It's not some white stallion. No, Jesus was making a statement about the kind of king that he, the Messiah, was to be. And it's not the conquering political hero. No, Jesus says, I'm coming to you with great humility. I'm coming to you with great gentleness. He is the Prince of Peace. And I want to tell you this. Jesus still comes today to you with great humility and gentleness. And some of you have come into church this morning and you're wound tight. Maybe it is the first time you've been here in a long time. Whether it's a year or years, or a lifetime, and you think, hey, is the roof going to fall in when I walk in? You ever felt that way? Did the power go up because of me? Was that what happened? <laughs> Listen, no. Jesus comes to you just like he came on that first day. Here's the picture. Jesus comes to us humble and gentle. That's how he's approaching you today. So listen, whatever you've carried in here, whatever sin is on your back, whatever kind of past that's haunting you, the Savior Jesus comes to you. We see the picture right here. Do you see it? The Savior Jesus comes to you in humility and gentleness. That's the kind of Savior that we have. I love that. He comes to you and he desires that you would draw near to him. Just as he condescended to the donkey, he condescends. God has condescended through Jesus to us as people and he comes in humility. He is the Prince of Peace and he wants to not just force his way into your life, but he desires to come in humility and gentleness. Jesus comes to us humble and gentle. That's the first picture we have. There are three. Let's look at the second one. Beginning, picking back in the scripture, picking back up in verse 35. Actually, that's where I just read. Let's go now to 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now is hidden from your eyes, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you. And hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Now we have a second picture here of Jesus. And in this picture, we hear Jesus throwing out some heavy stuff. And once again, we have the foreknowledge of God illustrated in this passage. Jesus is prophesying about something that we know was in fact fulfilled. He was prophesying about the destruction of Jerusalem. 
and the destruction of the temple, which would be complete in 70 AD, just like 35 years after he spoke these words. And as Jesus speaks those words of judgment, he doesn't delight in it at all. You know what he does? He weeps. We see here a sobbing Jesus as he looks over the city and he considers the people who wouldn't turn to him. He weeps. He says, if only you had known that this judgment would come. If, if only you would have turned to me. Jesus says, if only you would have recognized your moment, you would have had peace. And he weeps over the city. He weeps over the people. He weeps over the consequences that he knows are coming. It's incredible. What a picture of Jesus. Weeping over the people. Is that your picture of Jesus? Is that your picture of God? Have you ever considered this? That God in Christ weeps over your behavior. That, that your brokenness, that maybe the stuff you carried in here today, your sin, our sin, that he is broken hearted over the decisions, the behaviors, the consequences that we face. He doesn't delight in it. He's broken hearted. And so here's our second picture. The second picture is that Jesus comes to us broken hearted. We see him come humbly gently. And now we see him come to us brokenhearted. Jesus comes to us brokenhearted. And listen, he comes to you today brokenhearted. If you are one of those people who thought, man, is the ceiling going to cave in when I walk in? Listen, no, no, no. Jesus weeps over your sin. And always he come to you humble and gentle. He comes to you saying, listen, weep. I, I want you to come to me. I want you to know the peace that I can give you. Will you lay down your pride? Will you turn to me in my compassion and love to you and know the peace, the grace, the salvation that only I can bring to you? He comes to us in, in great gentleness and humility and he comes to us brokenhearted. I love it. It's judgment and it's mercy together. Do you see it? That's who our God is. That's the picture of who he is. Let's keep on going. There's a third picture I want to show you. The third picture comes right on the heels of this. And when Jesus entered the temple courts in verse 45, he began to drive out those who were selling. He said, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priest... The teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. Do you hang on the words of Jesus? The people hung on his words. Man, that we would hang on the words of Jesus. Jesus hung on the word of God. He knew the scriptures. We already pointed out that he knew in Zechariah 9.9 what the prophecy was. He knew what he was saying. He knew what he was fulfilling. We see it reflected here too. When he says, my house will be a house of prayer, that is a direct quote from Isaiah 56.7. Look that one up. And, and when he says, but you've made it into a den of robbers, that's Jeremiah 7.11. 
Jesus is making this statement and he's putting together, fusing together two scriptures and saying, listen, what is happening here is not right. Maybe you've been keeping up with our, our Lenten devotionals. This will help you understand this. And I think it was day 36. Yes, day 36, just this week, we, we had uh, a reading called The Cleansing. And it actually talked about this episode where Jesus drives out the people who are selling in the Bible. And it spoke from Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11 maybe gives us an idea and, and even a bigger sense of what's happening here in Luke 19 because we have some extra details. We know this, Jesus turned over tables. Remember this? He turned over tables when he came into the temple courts. So when he says, I've made my house to be a house of prayer, but you've turned into a den of thieves, he flips over tables. And John, we learned that he fashioned a whip at this time. And he drove out the animals there. Those animals were brought in for sacrifices. This was the Passover. And so they had set up shop in the temple courts, the court of the Gentiles. And because they'd set up shop in the court of the Gentiles selling these animals and other wares, the place was unavailable for those who would seek God who couldn't enter in to the temple courts themselves because they weren't Jews. And so what Jesus was perhaps really upset about wasn't just they were selling things. It's that by taking up the place where the Gentiles could come and seek him, they had cut off people from seeking Jesus. It says in Mark 11, it says, you have made my house a den of thieves. It's meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. Mark adds those words. And so why severe? Why is Jesus being so severe? Listen, Jesus had desired that people would come to him, all nations, all people, not just the Jews, not to be a holy huddle. He desires that all people would come to him. And so why so angry? Why do we have this picture of Jesus? This seems like it doesn't compute with the other pictures of Jesus who's gentle and humble, who's, who's brokenhearted over sin. Now we have this picture, and here's the thing that I would point out to you. Jesus is passionate about people coming to him. And anything that gets in the way of that, he is going to topple. He wants to get it out of the way. Any obstacle, any hurdle that's put in front of people who would come before him, he wants that to be eradicated. Because Jesus desires what? That all would come to repentance, that none would perish. So why so severe? It's because Jesus comes to us holy and severe out of his passion that people would know him. That's how Jesus feels about you. He says, look, I desire that you would know me. So much so, they'll turn over tables. I'll drive out whatever's in the way so that you can know me because I'm brokenhearted over your sin, but I come to you humble and gentle. These are the pictures of Jesus. Do you see it? Three portraits of Jesus right here in the scriptures. What's your picture of Jesus? Is it the genie Jesus? Is it, is it the Jesus who's distant? Is it some kind of political Jesus? No, Jesus comes to us humble and gentle. He comes to us brokenhearted. He comes to us holy. And severe when it comes to taking on anything that would get in the way of you 
knowing him. So we are approaching Holy Week. And, and Holy Week is a time, of course, when we think about the life of Christ, the last days of Jesus, the ultimate moments of his life here on earth. And so, yes, we're beginning with this Palm Sunday. It was great to have the kids up here. I love that. And then we'll move into Maundy Thursday. We'll commemorate the institution of the Lord's Supper and even the washing of feet that night in the upper room. And then we'll move to Good Friday and we'll consider the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. His broken body, his blood shed, the Son of God giving up his life only to celebrate his resurrection on Easter Sunday. We're going to go through these paces. And this is typically a time where people consider Christ and reflect on what he's done. I would put some urgency under that for you this week, for all of us. I mean, will you take this holy week to be a time where the picture of who Jesus is really comes into focus for you and for me? That's our desire. I mean, look, here's some practical things you could do to draw near to Jesus this week. Up your prayer game. Pray in the morning. Pray in the evening. Turn to God and say, God, save me, Hosanna. Seek him through prayer. Another way you could seek him is through his word. I mean, you could pick up right here in the book of, of Luke, start in chapter 19. Read 20 the next day, then 21, then 22, then 23, then 24. Finish the rest of Luke. That's six days if you do that this week. And come into Holy with this, this picture of who Jesus is coming into focus in your life. It'll change you. It'll transform us. Holy Week is the opportunity for us to seek Jesus and contemplate him and allow God to show us how we can respond and how he will transform us through him and him alone. So listen. What's your picture of Jesus? Who do you know him to be? Perhaps your picture of him needs to be adjusted. Jesus comes to us humbly and gently. He comes to you that way today. Jesus comes to us brokenhearted over our sin. And Jesus comes to us holy and severe whenever he has to be so that nothing will get in the way of us knowing him. I want to lead you in a prayer and give you an opportunity to talk to God this morning. Would you bow your heads as we consider this picture of Jesus? Oh Lord, we do thank you for Luke 19 and the depiction of Christ that we see there. We see him, Lord, coming to us with humility and gentleness, the donkey on the donkey. We thank you, Lord, that you've not come to us in war, but you've come in peace. Lord, we thank you, and we're amazed that you come to us brokenhearted over our sins, things that we've done, things we've left undone. Oh, Lord, we also come before you mindful that Jesus comes to us holy, 
and severe whenever necessary because you desire that all would come to repentance. That no one would perish. And so, Lord, as we consider these things, we come to you this morning in light of your gentleness and humility, in light of your heartbreak over our sin, we turn to you knowing that you are holy. There are some in this room or worshiping online who perhaps have never, ever turned to Jesus, who've never come to the understanding that we belong to him, just like that donkey belonged to him. Everything belongs to him, including our lives. And he desires to claim you and say, you are mine. If that's you, if you haven't turned to Christ in that way, you could do that right now. You could turn to the one who comes to you humble and gentle, who comes brokenhearted, the one who is holy. And so in your own heart, in your own mind, you might pray a prayer like this, say, God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I thank you that you've come to me humble and gentle. I thank you, Lord, that you come weeping, mourning over my sin, brokenhearted. Oh, Lord, I'm brokenhearted over my sin as well. Oh, God, I pray that you would forgive me through Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would help me to live a life that's holy. That you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and teach me your ways. Thank you, God, that Jesus won't allow anything to come between us and you. Oh, Lord, I believe in Jesus. Thank you for the humble Savior, King, who comes riding on the donkey. Thank you, Lord, that you weep and mourn over our sin. And thank you, Lord, for driving out those things that would hinder us from coming to you. I pray, Lord, that many would take advantage of the opportunity to turn to you today. And as we embark on this holy week, may we know you. May the picture of who Jesus is come into clear focus for all of us as we walk through these days. Thank you, God, for your love for us. Thank you for your gentleness and humility. Thank you, Lord, that you love sinners. Thank you, Lord, for your holiness. We worship you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.